0: Hi everybody, and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, it is the beginning of a new series. Uh, Our new series, Suit Up. And... uh, yeah, there you go, eh? I think we'll probably have different ones each week. So I've I've seen a number of uh, different sort of, uh, I don't know what you call them, uh, photos. Eye-dense, <laughs> <laughs> eye-dense is the word. I would have looked really clever if I'd said that, but there you go. <laughs> but yes, yeah, suit up. And uh, who knows, like what you wear kind of, it changes what you do, yeah. right? You know, we, we have different clothes for... Different occasions. You have different clothes when you go to bed. You have different clothes when you work. You wear different clothes when you're dancing. Uh, you see everyone on the, the guys on Strictly Come Dancing. They get to wear sequins. They get, you know, no guys get to wear sequins. It's not fair. You know, we don't get to have the sparkly stuff. Give me a groan if your wife makes you watch Strictly Come Dancing. Ooh. Give me a groan if your husband makes you watch Strictly Come Dancing. Well, our new new series is called Suit Up, and it explores the benefits of of God's covering, uh, what he dresses us in, protects us, and prepares us for his call upon our lives. Mm. And, you know, it's an institution, any kind of institution, any kind of organisation, it shows its commitment to you when it invites you to wear its uniform, Mm. right? A uniform communicates unity, and it communicates identity, It says, you are one of us now, and as a result, you get to enjoy the benefits associated with being with us. You are identified as being with us. Uh, (laughs) But at the same time, when you wear that uniform, there is like sort of the people around who have an expectation on you because they know who you represent, right? They know what you are representing, and they expect you to exhibit the values of that organization. Am I right? And so there are benefits to, to what uh, God places upon our lives, what, what he dresses us in, what he suits us in. But there's also like a, an implied responsibility to suiting up. You know, it's like there's a river of grace, but it's a river has banks, mm. a river has banks. There is grace upon your life. There is grace when you suit up. In the way that God fashions us. But there are boundaries to that. There are, there are responsibilities that help to guide that flow of grace upon your life. And so by understanding the nature of God's covering. We discover the full expression of him in our lives. So if you can turn with me now to Isaiah 61 verse 10. And it says. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. I want to give you a, a, just a very brief definition of, of suit. It's a, a suit really means a set of things to be used together or to make appropriate. Make appropriate is an interesting definition of it, isn't it? To suit up is to be made appropriate. And God, it says, it says in that passage there, God dresses us in salvation and righteousness. They're the garments that he upon, places upon us. And, and like a, a bridegroom, when dressed appropriately, we fulfill the role that God attend, uh, intended for us. Right when, when, we, when we put on the righteousness, when we put on the salvation, then we are walking in the way that God has intended us. They are the, they are the clothes that he adorns us with, he, he dresses us, the garments that he has placed upon our life. And as a result, it makes us appropriate. Now, I don't know about you guys. You probably all at some point in your life, I imagine most of you guys in here, at some point in your life, have, have turned up to some sort of formal occasion. Like... Work, say. I'll use work as an example. So, when you turn up to work, that first few weeks when you're turning up to work, and it doesn't really matter what you have to wear, but I'll use the, my, my own experience. When I first, uh, when I left university and I started working, it was the first time in my life that I had to wear sort of tra- you know suit trousers and a shirt and sometimes a tie. And I'll be honest with you, when you walk into the place, when you're walking into work, there's this little soundtrack in your head that goes, BOMB. <laughs> so you're feeling it, right? You feel yourself a little bit. You're like, oh man, I'm feeling really good. And I would have like the, the tight trousers on and the, the muscle rippling shirt. And uh, uh, I've had to insulate myself since then. Uh, but, <laughs> but you feel it. You're like, you feel yourself. You have that sort of dialogue and said, bum 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 bum. Everybody know what I mean? Everybody knows what I mean, right? Pretend you know what you, what I mean. Andy, you started working six months ago. You have that song going in your head all the time, right? (laughs) Bum, bum, ba-da-bum, bum. bum. Yeah. Anyway, I had it anyway. And I was feeling myself. And I I remember I was uh, in my office and I was there. I was all sort of uh, tightly dressed. And we would have these uh, deliveries of of fruit and... and, you know cans of juice and things like that, that that we were able to sort of help ourselves to, but we, we lived in one of these well we, we worked in we' didn't live in them we lived sometimes it felt like but uh, we worked in one of these sort of townhouses uh, up sort of that way. Uh, those on the podcast will have to guess which direction I'm pointing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, and, and they were quite heavy. they would get delivered by one of the supermarkets, and they were quite heavy, and, and they would expect us to carry them upstairs. And that was sort of one of the I guess that was our obligation for getting to enjoy that benefit. Uh, I remember, you as a guy, you can't really back down for the challenge. So they would pack these things, particularly with Coke cans, and they'd just be you know, really heavy. But you kind of have to just sort of man up a little bit, because you can't well these days I would just say oh I'm not picking that up I'm, I don't think that's going to work but, but back in those days you're so full of vim and vigour that you just do it anyway and so uh, I remember I went down for this one here and it had to be moved upstairs and I got myself ready in the pose and I went to pick it up just and you strain just as you're about to pick it up as I strained all of the stitching in the sort of bottom area of my trousers just vaporised. <laughs> vaporised. I mean, it was disappeared. It was like spontaneous combustion. There was nothing there, and I just felt this this bo- this, this wind sort of coming from behind. I was like, whoa, what the heck just happened there? Uh, and there was, actually a, there was actually a woman who was sort of standing, you know, sort of pretty well placed that she would have been able to have seen the whole thing sort of unfold. And uh, But she didn't even flinch, which, which I was glad. I was worried that, like, she had been just stunned by it or, like, she maybe like, she'd had a stroke. Not a stroke. Not a stroke. Uh, not a stroke. <laughs> it was a poor choice of words there. I did not mean she had a stroke, just, you know, maybe she had an embolism of some kind and just in status, but... Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you can imagine this, but it's like a personal nightmare that you're standing in work with a sort of trousers, not really all in one piece anymore. So I, I managed to get upstairs and I hid in the toilet for 45 minutes while uh, Laura fetched me another pair of trousers and uh, just pretended I wasn't there. And uh, thank goodness for mobile phones. Uh, you know, I was wearing, I was wearing the right clothes. I was, I was dressed right. But in that moment, I was kind of doing the wrong thing. I was, not, I was not dressed for doing that, even though I was at work. I was wearing the right thing, but I was doing the wrong thing. You get me? The bride and the groom, they are dressed appropriately because they're in the correct context. Mm-hmm. A bride and groom are dressed appropriately when they're in the setting of a wedding. But the esteem of their garments diminishes once they turn up to the wrong occasion. You turn up to a funeral in a wedding dress doesn't have the same effect. It has, a, it has a very different outcome. And likewise, we need to understand the significance of how God has dressed us. And it's a curious thing in the Bible, and it, I think it really helps our faith, but particularly in the, the Old Testament, uh, we get very physical examples uh, of understanding God's ways and, and how faith sort of works. Uh, you know there, the actions are are very much an outworking of the state of people's hearts, uh, in some ways very symbolic. Uh, For an example, uh, Gideon, who went on to defeat uh, a vast army of Midianites with uh, just 300 men, but... When he had to get his heart right with God, when God came and told him he was going to lead these men, he had to get his heart right. And as sort of a very physical act of repentance, he basically burned down an altar to another god. It was, it was something very physical. It wasn't just, well, I, I guess I'm going to turn away from that god. He, he tore that, 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 that altar down and he set it on fire. There was something very physical. Physical, very symbolic about his actions. Now, today, you know, much of that experience is sort of contained within our heart condition. When we uh, turn our, when we turn away from sin, we're really just turning our hearts. We we very seldom have to burn anything. Uh, usually, uh, <laughs> when 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 we feel. When we know that God's presence is around us, it's, it's because we feel that sense of, of comfort and upon our hearts and that challenge that he places upon our hearts. It's, it's, it's not often that, that, that angels come down and sort of tell us what God is planning for our lives. It's, it's very much sort of a condition of the heart. And, and you know what the reality is? That's a benefit. That's one of the benefits of having an intimate relationship with God. That's, that's one of the things, as, as with, with what Christ did upon the cross, that, that we benefit from having an intimate, personal relationship with us. And, and his spirit in us gives us a sensitivity. It gives us a sensitivity that, that we no longer need to just experience things in that natural dimension. We have an extra dimension, that supernatural dimension. We have a sensitivity to that because God brings our spirit alive. Yeah. And, and back in the, the Old Testament, you know, things were much more of a physical expression. So I say that to give a little bit of context to, uh, to the example that I want to give. Uh, so if you turn with me to 1 Kings 19, I'm going to start at 16 and then I'm going to jump to 19. So it starts off uh, 1 Kings 19. Also, uh, this is uh, God and he is talking to Elijah. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. Don't laugh. <laughs> and Elisha, the son of, of Abel, <laughs> and you shall anoint as prophet in your place. I'll jump on to 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, uh, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother uh, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back, for what have I done to you? So Elijah turned back from him and took a, a, a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Now, In this, Elijah throws his mantle, which is essentially a cloak, but but it was a symbol of his prophetic authority. Elijah was was a prophet in Israel and uh, and, and, and renowned probably throughout Israel. And and that that mantle had a real representation, very symbolic of his authority as a prophet. Uh, And it was a dramatic symbol when, when, when he threw it. He threw it upon this person. It said, I call upon you to join me in my work as a prophet. And in response, Elisha did something very dramatic. He burned all of the equipment that, that was uh, related to his past or his present that was going to become his past. And he used it to cook the, uh, the oxen and, and give it to the people to eat. It was a very dramatic sort of response to a very dramatic action. You know? and, and what maybe gets missed a little bit there is Elisha actually in that moment transitions himself from a place of authority to a place of servitude. You see, he wasn't just a worker in the field. He was like the son of the master, which meant on the, on the field, he was really the master. He, he held authority. And what he was doing was he was actually putting down that authority, saying that authority means nothing in the grand landscape of what God has called me for. And I will enter in willingly and freely into a place of servitude because I want to serve this man of God and enter into what he has called me to. So I'm going to go on in uh, 2 Kings. Now this 2 Kings is, is uh, a bit later on. You see, Elijah didn't just leave him at that point. He didn't throw him the mantle and go. He, he stayed with him and, 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 and uh, Elijah was his servant uh, where he could, he could learn the character and the values of the role that he was going to later embody. But then in 2 Kings, this is the point at which Elijah takes his leave of him. So in 2, uh, two Kings uh, chapter 2, verse 8 to 14. It says, Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what may I do for you before I am taken away from you. Elisha said, Please let me uh, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, uh, so he said you have asked a hard thing nevertheless if you see me when I am taken from you it shall be uh, so for you but if not it shall not be so for you then it happened as they continued on and talked they sudden that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. I can relate to that. Uh, (laughs) He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took up took the mantle of elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said where is the lord god of elijah and when he had when he also had struck the water it was divided this way and that and elisha crossed over it's a really beautiful coming of age account you know, there's, there's quite a lot of stuff in between there. And Elisha doesn't really get mentioned a huge amount. Elijah does. But he is there throughout all of those sort of adventures. And, and he, is, he is learning. But this is, his, this is his moment where he goes from being the faithful servant to being the successor. From going being the prodigy to the prophet. You know, he, and, and there's a great parallel in or symmetry in that verse where where they go over the water. And, and Elijah is the one who splits the, the River Jordan and they walk over And then on the way back when he's on his own, he does the same thing. It's almost like testimony to what God has placed upon his life. And and they also split and he crosses over. It's, 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 it's a coming of age. It's him coming into what he had been called to so long ago, and, and there's, there's a significance in him tearing off those clothes. I'm sure there was an anguish that he loved Elijah and, and, and was so devoted to him, but, but he tore off those clothes and he took up the mantle of Elijah. He took up his cloak. It's like these clothes that I've worn till now; these are servant's clothes. These are, not, but now I step into a new role and I have to take on the mantle. Of the, of the prophet, that I have to be the mantle of the role that God has called me to be, that I am now fulfilling that which I have been called to. You know, he had to fulfill it. And I think what I want to use from this is imagine, imagine if at the very beginning when Elisha had been just plowing away, Elijah had said, look, I'm, here's the mantle. God has called you. He said to pass you this mantle. I am now off. I, take me to heaven, Jesus. You know, and uh, and He ascended at that moment. What what would that have meant for Elisha? Well, uh, this week I, I got a very sort of a I think I got quite a literal example of what would have possibly happened. Uh, I have uh, uh, I don't know, thousands of children, no, four children, and uh, uh, it feels like thousands. Uh, uh, and uh, my youngest one, Alice, who's just turned one, and uh, she's just like all sort of one-year-olds, full of life, and she. Uh, she doesn't really play with toys much. She throws toys. She likes to empty drawers a lot. She just looks for chaos and carnage. This really where she finds the greatest enjoyment. And, you know, uh, as a father, that uh, is, it terrifies me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, she, uh, me and uh, my, my eldest son, Nathan, were uh, sitting on the sofa. I think we were maybe watching... Uh, a, a, a film or something, and, and Alice was sort of just marching around the room, making sort of uh, very aggressive baby sounds and uh, She took hold of this uh, little blanket, and the blanket would have been that sort of size once again, podcast viewers i 'm afraid uh, you 'll have to guess it might have been massive, it might have been small, uh, <laughs> but it was about this size, and uh, she was playing with it, and she, she threw it up in the air with, with great excitement and great joy but but as if just perfectly, it, it landed, it descended from the heavens. And it, it, much like as if Elijah had thrown it. Uh, and, and, and it landed square on her head. And instantly she was in pitch darkness. And from this moment of tremendous joy, she's... And me and Nathan watched it, the, the, the immediacy of her reaction. We laughed our heads off. It was the funniest thing. She's standing there as if, like, as if she was chicken-licking and the sky had just fallen in. She was like, what's just happened? The world has disappeared. Uh, and she's crying away. And, and we eventually took it off. And, and Nathan would be, thought it would be funny to put it back on her again later. And it was funny. It was like 80% is funny. And then it was 60%. then it was 40%. And I had to tell him to stop doing it. Uh, so then he threw it at me. And then you know, I had to send him to his room. And that's how it goes in our house. But I feel as if 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 that mantle had been passed to Elisha and then just suddenly you're on your own, pal, then it would have been just too much. It would have been it would have been too much. There would have been that responsibility would have been placed upon him, but he would not have had the direction or the guidance to be able to handle that responsibility. He'd been laden down. Rather, it would have been a burden as, as, as in the sense of, of rather than sort of a promotion. Uh, you see, God doesn't dress us in isolation. He mm. doesn't dress us on our own. He doesn't, he doesn't place these garments of righteousness, righteousness and salvation when we are uh, isolated. Uh, now, don't get me confused you have to have a personal relationship with God. You cannot have a relationship with God that is uh, dependent upon another person. When, when you are a child, uh, you, you, you sort of rely on your parents, but, but there is a point in your life where, where that relationship becomes between you and God. And, and pressing into God is not ignoring everybody else. In fact, often when you press into God, other people are on your mind. Uh, when Jesus retired into the wilderness to, to have that time with God, he was still always in the midst of ministry. Yeah. It wasn't like he said, I'm taking a time out, guys. Mm. I need to take a break from this. He's like, no, I need this in order to have all that I need to fulfill the calling upon my life. Yeah. And this, uh, the significance of uh, Elisha's promotion was that he was so willing to enter into serving another person's calling. Mm. It was, it, when he asks uh, Elijah... You know, when Elijah asked him, what can I give you? He said, I want a, a double portion of your spirit. Not, I'm going to blaze my own path. I don't need anything from you. He's like, no, I want a double portion, but a double portion of what you have shown me, of what you have educated me in, and what I've learned from you. I want a double portion of that because, because there, was, there had been a guidance, there had been a teaching, there had been a mentorship that had taken place. And see, that was, that was pretty common in, in the Old Testament. You would have these prophets, and, and they'd have their, 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 they would often call them their servants, and, and, and sometimes those servants would become the, uh, the, the next prophet, and sometimes just they, they, they wouldn't. Elisha's uh, servant wasn't able to. He made bad decisions, and, and it never carried on to him. But, but that was kind of how it went. There was, there was that anointing, and it passed from person to person. But see, the work of the cross, the work of the cross revolutionized this process of impartation because the anointing of God rested upon the church and it was, it was there to build and establish the church. He placed his anointing upon it for the building and advancement of the kingdom of God. See, Jesus came to earth with the purpose of freeing man from the bonds of sin. He achieved this through his sacrifice upon the cross where, where he died a sinner's death when he was without blemish, and, and, and in doing that, paid that price, that price of the wages of sin, the, the wages of sin that was against mankind for all of the, the sin and all of the things that we would regret and, and couldn't undo ourselves. His life, his perfect life, paid for every single bit of that. But, but rather than just simply leave it at that, rather than throwing mankind a lifeline, and, but without giving them any structure or any sort of process or mechanism or anything to support that, he resurrected. He was resurrected and and, 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 and basically formed and set in motion the formation of his church. That he came back to life and started to gather. He started to bring about, started to show himself, show that death had no power upon his life and bring those people who had been lost and, and, were, and were in despair and brought them back to one place. And when he brought them back and when they were when, when he res- uh, ascended back to heaven, they, they all met in a, in a building and they all met in a room and they were there for a number of days. And at that point, that point, which, which I really think is the, the, the beginning point of church, that's, that's, the, that's the, the, the alpha of church. That's alpha of church. That's quite funny. That, uh, <laughs> that is the first alpha. <laughs> but that was church. And, and the spirit of God came down in tongues of fire. And and, and the church was birthed. They went forth, they spoke in tongues, they they added thousands of people to the church on that very day. That was the beginning of church. And what happened, what was the, the, the lightning point for that? It was the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came down and the Spirit was at the birth of church for the advancement of the kingdom of God. See, the power of the Spirit is not without purpose and direction. Sometimes we don't know what the purpose and the direction is. And so we, we fool ourselves into believing that, that maybe it's random. Maybe it just sort of works, you know, and, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. But that's, that's completely untrue. God is a God of order. Yeah. He's not a God of chaos. The enemy is chaos. He yeah. is the opposite. There is order, but we don't always necessarily see the order. But it helps to understand that the Spirit of God came into our lives, came upon the church for the advancement and the building of his kingdom, of his church. Yeah. See, the kingdom is the, is, of God is the context through which we understand the move of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's the context. When, when you place the move of the Spirit within the context of we are seeing the kingdom of God built, even the most inexplicable things come to make sense. See, Only through that investment and engagement with church do we begin to understand how he flows in us. In Hebrews 13, 7, it says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And just like Elisha could only really receive that revelation of what Elijah had presented him with, by being around him, by being in proximity, by spending time with him, by allowing the overflow of Elijah into his life, by, by seeing that and allowing himself to reproduce, was he able to walk into the fullness of his calling? And you see, there's so many voices vying for our attention. There's so many voices that, that are calling out and, and asking for us to follow them, for us to, to listen to them. And, and there is a discernment upon a believer's heart to, to discern what suits what is it that fits right? Finding the set of things to be used together. What do I be, what am I used together with? Where do I fit in? What suits? In 1 Corinthians uh, 4 verse 14 to 7 it says, I do not write, this is Paul writing, I do not write these things to shame you. But as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ, I have begotten you through uh, the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. We need to understand there's a difference between instructors and fathers. Yeah. See, an instructor, and it's not to say there's anything, it's not to criticise the role of an instructor, but an instructor visits. Mm. An instructor has a relationship, but it's, it's remote. Uh, and, and a lot of what you learn from them is based really upon their experiences. They, they, they are there to instruct you in, in the ways in which they have experienced. And, and those experiences are separate from you. But a father a father lives with you. A father has a relationship with you that, that is not uh, from time to time, but it is ongoing, mm-hmm. right? And a father, he understands the journey that you are on yeah. because he shares that journey with you. Much mm-hmm. more he's invested in that journey. Yeah. You know, it's not an instructor will instruct you, instruct you, and very, very seldom will they be invested in your journey. But a father is different because he is totally wrapped up in the outcome of your life, the outcome of what God has placed within you. And in Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And I think a really important bit that gets missed from that is, is the very final word, of his friend. See, the implication is that that process of refinement For it to succeed and for it to endure, it must be between those in a covenant relationship. It must be between those that are not, we're not just, it's not man sharpens man. Stranger sharpens stranger. It's like the friend. It's the person who's in relationship. It's that person who shares a bond. there's, There's a backdrop of vulnerability. You know, you're vulnerable with your friends. You let your guard down with your friends. You let your friends in. Even if it's just a little bit more than you would a stranger, but you allow them into your lives. And, and, and it's only through that, that bond that that process of refinement, that process of, uh, of, of sharpening takes place. And the house of God is the place where those spiritual bonds form. It's the family when you're, when you're in a house. You, you have your brothers and your sisters and they sort of relate you back to the origin of the house and the destiny of the house it's not it's not something separate they 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 inspire within you that transition to become a member of the body not just not a, not a visitor not a part-timer but somebody who is invested in, and you need to have those relationships and in John 15 verse verse, uh, verse 1 to 5 it says i am the true vine And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I abide in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. That fruitfulness, that fruitfulness that we all seek within our lives, we want our efforts, we want that which we put our mind and body towards to be fruitful. We don't want it to, to, to return void. Whatever it is what we do in our life, we want it to be fruitful. And as we, as we walk in that, in that, in that uh, journey of, of, of faith as a believer, as a Christian, for us to have fruitfulness to our life, we have to abide within the vine. You can't be fruitful on your own. You have to be integrated into the vine. And that vine is, 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 is really the origin of it is, is Christ. So when he says, abide in me... And I abide in you. It's like you have to abide in the house. You have to be a part of the house. You have to be integrated into my kingdom for you to be able to advance my kingdom. Okay. You know, to tap into that life It's it's as if the Spirit of God goes through each one of those vines. It's like the the life force that that keeps them going, that keeps them green, that keeps them fruitful. It's our source. It's our resource. It's it's the blood that that pumps through our lives. That is the Spirit, but but it only finds that that fullness and completeness when we are integrated, when we are are just hooked into, rooted into the house, rooted into church, rooted into uh, the body of Christ and see we understand that we have to understand that each church has sort of different nuances and uh, and tendencies and and subtleties you know that no church is the same and, and the reason is because when church is is built uh, whether it's from its founding level and just throughout the years, God and the Spirit of God just, just work upon people's lives. And, and it's, it's the outworking of the Spirit yeah. in people's lives. And so, yeah. so we're all unique, right? We're all totally different. So churches are going to be totally different. They're going to have different ways. They're going to have different graces because God has placed different gifts upon our lives. And as His Spirit and anointing works upon us, it brings out different things. Yeah. I say this because so often when we're looking for, uh, we look for successful models, we look for uh, better ways to do things, and we, we look around and we, we look at other churches, we look at other organizations, we look at other structures, but they have a grace that we don't have, but we have a grace that is absolutely unique and individual to what yeah. God has placed upon us. It's, it's totally unique. You cannot, you cannot seek it out from somewhere else. You can get inspiration elsewhere, but you don't find the answer out there, yeah. you find it through the spirit you find it through going back to your roots going back to the resources and our faith only advances the kingdom when when we have that relationship within the house when we are in alignment and agreement with the members of a church when we stand together and it, and it, it inspires us to to find that fullness that God has placed upon our life it takes it really I've used this example quite often but it really takes to see God outworking himself in its fullness. It takes the three legs of a stool. It takes you, it takes God, and it takes the brothers and sisters of your, of your church, of your, of your body, to be in alignment. Mm. If you take one of them away, the stool falls over. Mm. And those things need to be together. They need to be as one. Mm. See, a house, the house has a mantle, and that mantle represents God's character and nature. And different churches have different mantles, and they, and they represent different characteristics, different attributes of God. Nope. God is so, so mesmerizing that no one church could ever uh, fully represent the greatness and completeness of God. But that's okay. God has many churches with many attributes that, that, that bring out a great grace and a great blessing upon them. And, and, and it's by being rooted in the house, by being rooted in it, that we get to fulfill the call upon our life. Not our ambition, but God's destiny. You don't get to choose your destiny. Isn't that funny? You don't get to choose your destiny. But the reality is, though you may not choose it, and though you may not necessarily would have chosen it if you ever knew what it was, when you fulfill that destiny upon your life, there is a completeness in it. There's, there's, there's a satisfaction in it. Amen? See, church provides that context that means we can make sense of what God has placed upon our lives. It gives us that context, it gives us that framework, it gives us that scenery. Rather than just being alone and wondering what do I do with these tools in my hands, you have an entire landscape at which to apply those tools. And it's the relationships around us that are totally necessary to draw out those giftings upon our lives and challenge us to seek his anointing. So your giftings are great but it requires an anointing. An anointing from the mantle that sits upon the house yeah. to bring out the fullness of it. Yeah. I'm just going to finish up here so someone can come up on the uh, keyboards. Church is the wisdom of God and often the folly of man. See, we, church is not about us as individuals. The, the focus and objective of church is not about our greatness. I think the longer that you spend in church, you you begin to realize that. You begin to understand, church isn't about me. But at the same time, it's only in being in church, only in being with part of the body, being part of the the brethren, part of the, the relationships, that you discover that fullness and completeness and gift upon your life. You only find who God intended you to be. You only discover the destiny. You're only able to touch the giftings and the the influence that gifting can have when in the house. It's like the two things exist at once. You can't focus. It can't be the focus about making your own ministry. You can't walk in somewhere and say, this is my ministry, make room for it. But there's a grace that allows room for that gift upon your life. When like Elijah, Elisha, you lay down whatever authority you have and you come in as a servant. You come in serving the house, serving the vision, serving another's calling. And in doing that, you receive the fullness of what God called you to be. Amen? Why don't you stand with me for a second? Questions, or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.